all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio with Dr. Jimmy Stewart. That's me, uh, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. With you today, and uh, we've got uh, really frigid temperatures out there. I have to uh, warm up considerably just to get my brain working uh, for this uh, guy who's lived his whole life in the South. Uh, But really frigid. Even if you're from the North, this is frigid. I've been talking to my sister up in Chicago. We've been uh, comparing notes. And, of course, there, I I think a couple of days ago, the high was negative one degrees Fahrenheit. I was talking to somebody from Germany. They said, wait. Is that Fahrenheit or Celsius? And the low was negative two. So, um, and of course, wind chilled back down in the, you know, negative 20s. So that's very dangerous. Um, It is actually sneaky dangerous, too. We're still not out of the woods here. I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, ice that's still on the ground. Please be careful if you're uh, going back and forth. It can be very deceptive, particularly in areas that are in the shade that haven't gotten uh, direct sunlight. Um, please uh, be careful when you drive over there, over them, uh, and uh, no sudden moves on the road. And so that means uh, no putting on the brakes really abruptly or, um, or um, uh, you know, sort of changing lanes abruptly, those kinds of things over that kind of pathway. But hopefully in the next couple of days that should melt. But the, the temperatures are still pretty low. Uh, so please be careful out there. We've talked about this before, but certainly lots of chronic diseases that are impacted <clears throat> by the colder weather. One is uh, asthma uh, certainly can be triggered. So asthma exacerbations can be triggered. We want to make sure that you're up to date on any inhalers that you might take, both for a <clears throat> a rescue inhaler or regular inhalers. Um, that, you know, some things when they go out of date, it's really for different reasons like uh, pills, tablets, those kinds of things. But liquids and inhalers, they tend when they go out of date, they're not that good anymore. Um, so you want to make sure that you have all those updated, uh, even if you haven't used it in a long time. Let's go to our first caller, Chuck from Waveland. Good morning, Chuck. <laughs> That's right. Shiver me timbers. That's exactly right, Chuck. Awful cold. Um, Doc, I lifelong have never had skin issues. And if you remember back to this past summer when it was brutally hot, um, I developed um, a persistent rash uh, at that time. And here it is, the cold of January, and I still have it. 
and I've tried all of the topicals that you can think of over this past six months or so. Um, and the rash is uh, on my bottom and intermittently pretty much goes everywhere. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm thinking since this is such a persistent uh, skin rash that I've never had, um, and at one point in my life I had uh, a, um, um, almost went into sept- sepsis with a, um, a staph infection. Hmm. I, I'm, think- I'm thinking that this is a deep skin, that this is going to be an interior um I don't know antibiotic treatment to get rid of this, but it's been six months. So that, yeah. how do I how do I get rid of this? So you said predominantly it's on your bottom, but it can spread to the rest of your body, like the entire body. You know, typical areas, uh, joints, my neckline, <clears throat> and I. Um, I think the only thing that really has helped is, is is I work out every day and take a real long, moist shower, um, and that that helps it for a day. But then, you know, it just it's just persistent, and my my skin gets real leathery, mm-hmm. you know, after a day or two, where <clears throat> where this rash is occurring, um, and. Uh, it, it, it's a pain in the you know what. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, Chuck, uh, I'm going to take a stab at it. You know, rashes are one of those things that are incredibly difficult over the radio to try to tease out. Uh, but I can make a couple of suggestions. I don't think this is a long-term chronic infection of the skin. So I, I don't think this is necessarily something that was related to your uh, episode of sepsis, nor is it a continual, you know, deep, deeper infection of the skin, um, particularly the patterns that you just you just noted. Um, now, it, without looking at it, it, again, it is sort of hard, but you can have infections of the skin that are usually um, related to warmer times, but not necessarily and they incur, occur in moist areas. So some of the areas you mentioned are, are, tend to stay moisture even in the, in the colder months, uh, but particularly in the hotter months. And those can be things like yeast or, um, or a fungal infection. And those are fairly easy to treat. And usually we don't use systemic uh, medications to do that, like things by mouth, but we use a topical one. But it has to be very specific, and most of those are prescription-related and not over-the-counter. Most of the stuff over-the-counter is either something to sort of coat the skin, um, like what we call an emollient, um, or they have a degree of very weak antifungal. You know, some of the things like uh, myconazole uh, is something that you can you can find over-the-counter uh, that's a little bit weaker than a prescription strength, or um, or steroids. And, and steroids can certainly treat some skin problems and rashes, but they're not made for everything, particularly if it's a if it's something that's that's more infectious. So it doesn't sound like it's bacterial. Those tend to not last this long like that. But again, I'm not looking at it. The other thing that might be uh, because this sounds like it's more flexural areas. In other words, it's in your you know on your bottom, like it, uh, your neck area. 
Sometimes those, in addition to maybe being a fungal infection, can be uh, a, a problem with the immune system that is sort of on overload, if you want to think of it like that. So it's sort of revved up to take care of foreign things that we come into contact with. Well, sometimes you can have it uh, a little bit more aggressive and flexural rashes tend to, to look like that. And if it's sort of leathery, autoimmune processes can sometimes do that too. So I know I've given you a ton of stuff out there, but if it's been going on this long, which it sounds like six months or so, I would go see somebody about it. And I would try to see at this point, a dermatologist. Um, and if you can, t- Doctor, I, think you're, I think you nailed it because I think it is a fungal issue. Um, and a, my immune system, I, I'm disgustingly healthy. I never have any issues. And my skin issues, you know, a week, a couple of weeks. So the fungal issue, but I also had a a, a very odd thing a few months back where I think I had in my right leg a um, a a leg infection. so I think my immune system, I think you nailed it. It's an immune system um, and a fungal issue, and I need to go to a dermatologist. Yeah, I, I think the dermatologist would be the, the best expert that could probably, just by looking at it, they have some tricks up their sleeve, too. There's some little things that they can do in the office that can help with the diagnosis. Or they may even want to take a just a superficial scraping of the area just to, to do like a skin culture um, so that they can sort of see what grows out of that. But and, and don't, you know, don't jump to systemic immune problems just yet. Because some of the things I'm talking about are more of an allergic type response or an autoimmune. It doesn't mean that your immune system is weak. It just means it is revved up and it is doing something a little bit inappropriately. But you're right. I think the dermatologist is the person that can lay eyes on you literally and uh, look at that and then maybe even like take a small piece of it. Uh, just to get very specific, because if it's been going on this long, it really you need to know what you're treating first um, before you sort of throw the throw everything that you know at it. Yep, Doc, you're the best. Well, thank you, Chuck. We sure do appreciate it. Stay warm, my friend. Even uh, in the south, the southern parts of the state, I can know it's cold down there yeah. too. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning on this frigid Wednesday morning. Although it's warming up, I was like so excited to see a high in the 40s today. And then I thought, man, that's that was cold these last couple of days. Hope you have been staying warm and staying safe. Um, again, we've been talking a lot about uh, how to protect yourself. And uh, exposure is the biggest one. Even if you, I know last Yesterday, um, our clinics were canceled, so I worked from home most of the day, but I had to go get, uh, I have a few chickens at my house, so um, we uh, had run out of chicken feed, so I had to go get some chicken feed, and even just in the five to ten minutes of getting them water and carrying it out there, I mean, my hands were just incredibly frozen. I mean, they were they were not. I mean, they were not damaged anyway. But it sure does hurt. You know, what do you do if you do have some cold damage to any area of the skin? Usually, you want to warm that up. You don't want to warm it up if, particularly if it's been really 
Uh, a lot of people just like to just throw their hands under hot water. Not a good idea for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can have a temperature-related injury from that, uh, either of the hot water because you can't feel it, or if you warm those tissues up too uh, quickly, you can do you can induce some changes in the tissue itself. So you want to do that either with lukewarm water. That's fine. I like water because you can immerse your hands or feet in it. Uh, but you don't want it, uh, even room temperature is going to be better than, um, than really hot. And, and if you've ever done that, you're like, you know, if you're really cold and you get in the shower and you turn it on to a temperature that normally would be just fine for you. And it feels like it is fire on you. That's why, because those nerves are now sort of, uh, habituated to those lower temperatures and you got to warm that tissue up is important to do. Um, but you want to do that in a way that's slow. Um, and, uh, drinking warm liquids can help too. Again, you want to be careful with, uh, with, with the heat. So if you're drinking some coffee, hot chocolate, whatever your uh, hot tea, uh, those things can help to warm the body up if you've been outside, but, uh, please, please just, uh, try to be careful. These, uh, this next week or so, it looks like the, the temperature is going to, uh, inch on up into more tolerable, uh, ranges, uh, and just check on those, check on those people who might, uh, who might need some help too. There's a lot of people that don't have, uh, the best, uh, living situation or, uh, maybe they're elderly and can't get around as much. Um, it is a terrible time, particularly for the elderly. If you think about it, it's a, it's, it's, it has lots of risk, for instance, taking your garbage out whenever your garbage day is, if you can help somebody else out or just be careful with that. If we have patches of ice down, uh, certainly don't want to fall, trip, slip down and break a hip. So uh, that would be bad. I know a lot of people aren't able to listen to the show live um, at 11 on Wednesdays, but uh, if you want to catch it later or maybe you want to catch the entirety of it, maybe you just had time to just uh, catch a few minutes of it, you can always download that on your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio, or you can go to our archive on the website, mpbonline.org, and uh, search for old programs there. We try to uh, get those up and running within about a day or so. You know, speaking of of uh, what to do if you, uh, you know, we had the clinic cancellation yesterday. Uh, it's super easy if you're a, pra- a patient. I've had this happen to me where I had a cancellation of something and it just sort of slips your mind. Don't forget about that. Those important, those, um, those appointments are important, whether it's a follow-up of a chronic medical condition or maybe it's just a wellness check on things. Um, different times of the year, holidays, things that pop up, it's certainly important to follow back up with that uh, so that your physician or healthcare provider can uh, can uh, make sure that you are staying healthy. Uh, same thing for, uh, for medication refills, too. I know I had a lot of patients that uh, were canceled uh, yesterday, but uh, uh, ended up uh, calling in those refills today. We're going to go to Tom up in North Mississippi. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. How are you? Good. Are you staying uh, warm up there? Well, let me tell you something. I'm out on the road, but people in Mississippi cannot drive on ice. <laughs> I agree with I you, think, Tom. I think we all know that, but I <laughs> I have an all-wheel drive vehicle, and uh, it does pretty well. And I've taken it. Actually, I've been this time of year, maybe a little bit earlier, up out west, like in Utah and Colorado with it. And uh, and you're right. Like, if you're not used to that and uh, and don't, 
be careful. I, I had some people um, blow by me on the highway uh, Monday night going about 70 miles an hour. And I'm like, that is just, that, that's just crazy. Yeah, I wasn't as worried about my car making it through uh, everything when all of that hit. I was more worried about getting hit by somebody else. So I think you're right. So we, we, <laughs> that's right. Tom, what's your question today? Okay, uh, back in 2017, I was diagnosed with uh, squamous cell carcinoma of the left, left console. Uh, they did a biopsy on it, and then I went through chemo radiation. Um, cisplatin was the chemotherapy that I was on. Mm-hmm. Everything worked, you know, it went away as advertised. Um, of course, it affected my case and left burn marks on me and a host of other issues, but I survived. Then in 2020 or 2021, I developed a sore on the side of my tongue, and when I went to see my EMTs, they did a biopsy and ended up being cancer. Mm -hmm. So I had to go for a partial glossectomy, and then, of course, they took meat from my arm and rebuilt my hand. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, pulled the vein out of my arm with it and attached it into the artery so it would have a blood a pretty amazing operation. <clears throat> it, uh, they got it all and said I was cancer-free. Then I went in for a CT scan, and they said it looks like we're built. Well, first of all, let me... Uh, I forgot this part. I've got pretty bad lymphedema in my neck now, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went to a specialist who gave me massage therapy and showed me what to do at home, and it works pretty well. Um, but it started get, seemed to be getting worse and worse, or the massage they were doing didn't seem to be helping much. Anyway, went for another CT scan last year. They said, it looks like we're, you're building up fluid under your under the left side of your neck. Went in for another CT scan to see if it had uh, uh, gotten any better or worse or anything. And my doctor in Memphis actually called me after that CT scan personally, which to me was very honest. But uh, come find out they're sending me for a PET scan now. Mm-hmm. So I asked him, okay, I know alone when I was battling my tongue that we couldn't do radiation again because of the radiation I'd already had back in 2017. Um, but they're talking about now trying immunotherapy, possibly back to chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the first thing about immunotherapy. So I'm just wondering if you can kind of shed some light on what's going on, what I'm going to be dealing with, maybe some pros and cons, and I will hang up and listen. Sure. Yeah, so immunotherapy is one of those branches of cancer uh, treatment that is, it's not too terribly new. You know, there were there were uh, vestiges of this. It first started back in the 80s and 90s. Um, but there was a lot of interest in it, and skin cancer was one of those, and it was used for a number of skin cancers, most notably um, um, malignant uh, melanoma. 
And um, it has been sort of broadened out, and now we use immunotherapy um, or monoclonal antibodies um, to target certain cancer cells. And the advantages is basically this is using a, a, a substance that is made outside of your body. And it uh, utilizes the same pathways as your immune system. And a lot of people don't don't know we have a whole branch of the immune system that its job is to go in, first of all, recognize malignant cells in our body because we generate those all the time. There's There are cells that are uh, going rogue and sort of either precancerous or cancerous. And if our immune system is working correctly, we can eliminate the vast majority of those. And there are things like natural killer cells. There's programmed cell death. And uh, what the scientists have gotten really good at is uh, using that kind of pathway um, with some of these substances that are made, again, outside the body to go in and target some of those. And the advantage of that is, again, it, it's targeted. If you give somebody chemo, like you said, cisplatin, so that's a uh, older uh, uh, chemotherapy uh, medication that it kills cancer cells. And because they're growing faster, it kills more of them or all of them. But it also damages other cells as well. So some of the older chemotherapy medications that were like that uh, weren't as targeted, and they had side effects like nausea because they affect the cells lining our stomach. That uh, anything that that grows faster, um, it, it will affect, like the hair follicles uh, in our in our head. That's why you know with some of the chemotherapy uh, medications, you lose your hair. But the immunotherapy, again, it's targeted. has usually has less side effects. Um, it may or may not have greater. Um, um, efficacy, so it may work a little bit better sometimes. Um, I'm not aware in particular of what the numbers are for, say, squamous cell carcinoma uh, of the mouth or oral cavity, uh, but your your uh, treating physician can sort of give you those. But that is an option if you've reached the point where, okay, we've used the uh, chemotherapeutic agents, and some of those have an, an absolute uh, amount that you can't give anymore again to limit side effects radiation is the same way so uh, to certain areas of the body they can tolerate uh, ionizing radiation to a certain extent and then you have to stop um, so immunotherapy would be more of a targeted way to do that that would have less side effects that might shrink those areas um, and uh, and potentially treat your cancer, and they're all a little bit different. So some of them again are monoclonal antibodies. So those are things that are that are made. They're antibodies that are made that go in and do certain things. They may not necessarily attach to the cancer, so that your immune cells can then latch onto it and get rid of it, like those natural killer cells. But they may turn on certain things and uh, program cell death. In other words, there are signals that. Um, can be given to cancer cells that say, you need to die right now, and that cell will die. So some of these really target things like that or certain pathways and how cancers grow is fascinating. And I think this is one of the, uh, if you look in the last 15, 20 years in, uh, in cancer research, this is one of the biggest benefits that we've seen, again, particularly in those, in those uh 
you know, in some of these trials, they've been very successful and had much, much less side effects. Um, and a lot of people would say, well, why don't we just start off with that? Well, typically, that's how emerging therapies sort of work is that in the development of it, at first, we want to see, is it safe? Is it something that can be beneficial? And then usually it's somebody, if we already have ways to treat things like surgery, medicine, uh, chemotherapy, medications, and radiation therapy, we typically go with that. And then if a person does not respond or has a recurrence, then we'll try some of the newer medications. So we don't want to take a risk if there's not one there uh, to take. But as they... Um, as they get better and better with this, then you can sort of broaden that out. So I, I suspect, you know, 20 years from now, this will be the majority of cancers, not just with immunotherapy, but with cellular signaling where we make something and identify that one particular cell so that we're minimizing those side effects and saying, hey, turn this these cells off. Um, and those are going to be some of the things that really revolutionize how we treat cancer what the benefits of that are, and minimizing those side effects. So thanks for bringing that up. Ask, ask more questions. That's what I would say on that to say, okay, what are the side effects of this particular immunotherapy? What is my, my overall um, projected benefit if I take this? This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and calls about any kind of healthcare topic. Let's go to Mitch from Summit, Mississippi. Good morning, Mitch. Hey, good morning. What's your question today? I have a question. Mm-hmm. I have a question about Botox in, uh, in my hand. Okay. Or my ring finger. Um, I have CMT, Charcot Marie Tooth, you know, is mm-hmm. uh, um, muscle disorder, deterioration, whole thing. Um, and I was having problems with trigger finger. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, going to my doctor this afternoon, and I wanted to ask her or him, whichever one I see today, um, would they think that Botox into the, the hand or into the finger area instead of having surgery? And I'll go ahead and hang up and listen. Sure. Yeah, so Charcot-Marie tooth is a a type of neuropathy where there's damage to the nerves, tends to be more peripheral type uh, neuropathy, and um, it can uh, be extremely uh, difficult for patients to deal with. And I I would say here, I I don't have a lot of knowledge in this for for the periphery. So Botox, one of the advantages of Botox is it, it basically paralyzes nerves. So it shuts that nerve down from working um and um you know it's it's semi-permanent most of the time you have to you don't it doesn't last that's why people who you know get the cosmetic botox it's small amounts and it basically sort of paralyzes those nerves that uh that cause the muscle contractions underneath the skin to uh, those uh, sort of uh, um, uh, fine lines and stuff that are caused by those muscles contracting. It sort of paralyzes those, so you get this sort of slick look. But in the periphery for something like this, I guess theoretically that could work. I'm not sure a surgical option um, would be one that that would work any better. 
Uh, one of the things I think the benefits of the Botox might be that it, it may only last, you know, three to six months. So if you have some downsides of it, it would wear off over time probably. Um, and I, I would just really talk to your hand surgeon or whoever, you know, your neurologist, whoever you're seeing for that, just to ask them if that's a, a possibility. I think potentially that might be something that, that could help out with that. Um, one of the downsides would be that you, uh, particularly since it's on your finger, is a loss of sensation from that. Uh, and that may sound like, well, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do is to decrease the pain. Um, it also might um, it interfere with your ability to protect that tissue. Um, another example of this, uh, not it, totally unrelated, but it has the same effects, leprosy. One of the biggest problems with leprosy is it damages the peripheral nerves or nerves that are exposed to colder areas of the body. And because of that, um, you tend to uh, not feel anything to the point where you, you know, we're, we're bumping up against things all the time. If you sit in a chair for long enough, you're, you're the nerves that you're sitting on on your bottom are going to tell you move a little to the left, move a little to the right or at least just give you that sensation to do that. If you lose complete sensation anywhere in the body, there's, um, you know, that may not be a big deal, but particularly if it's in on your, your toes, your fingers, the bottom of your feet. It's also why diabetic patients have the, a lot of problems with their feet because they lose sensation, and you really have to be careful because you'll just keep sitting where you are or standing where you are or touching something or, or gripping it for a long t- period of time, and you'll damage that tissue because you can't, you don't have that pain feedback. So that may be one of those questions to ask. Uh, I believe you said it was your ring finger. Uh, that's typically not, you know, particularly if it's on your, your non-dominant hand, um, not as big a deal if you have some decreased sensation in that from the Botox, but... That would be a question I would ask, too. Number one, is it going to be any better than surgery? And again, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not familiar with a trial. that was a head-to-head that said one was better than the other. Um, or uh, what, are the, what are some of the uh, potential side effects that you can have? But um, that's a good question. I don't think we've ever had that question on Southern Remedy. That's a new one right there. I'm going to have to research that. I have a lot of people ask about the effects of the cold on uh, things like blood pressure, pulse rate, that kind of thing. Now, certainly heat can do that. Anytime we heat up the body, most of the time you're going to see an increase in heart rate for a couple of uh, reasons, Um, and uh, that's to help regulate the body's temperature and uh, uh, just sort of increases the the temperature everywhere, and and, uh, you're trying to... uh, to uh, minimize the amount of heat by uh, water losses to try to cool down the body. But in cold, there's not really a mechanism that, um, that can warm your body up like we can cool ourselves down. Um, one thing that the body tries to do, though, is to protect vital organs. So it will shunt blood away from your skin and away from your muscles to... Uh, to uh, try to conserve that blood flow and heat to the heart, to the brain, uh, to the liver, kidneys, uh, and it'll try to do that uh, first. That's why your you know hands and extremities get cold if you're out for very long. 
Um, but as far as like effects on blood pressure and pulse rate, if you get really, really cold and you start to get hypothermia, your pulse rate can decrease uh, dramatically. In fact, you know, I think everybody's pretty aware that uh, unfortunately, in this time of year, sometimes people go out on frozen lakes and th- those kinds of things. They may fall in the ice and they're underneath the water for 20, 30 minutes, which if you were in the summertime and the temperature was increased, uh, that would be fatal to you. But we know now you can last, uh, you can survive about 20 minutes in frigid water. Uh, your chances of dying is is much less than if it were a warm uh, drowning and uh, we're, we've gotten really good at resuscitating people under those conditions. So there is a little bit of differences to that and how the body reacts to that. Pulse rate usually goes down if your core temperature gets below about 94 degrees. And uh, that, that's pretty cold. Doesn't sound that really that cold, but it'll start to go down uh, starting around then and then uh, decrease uh, precipitously um, um, after that. But um, don't don't try this at home with with things i know a lot of people do things like cold immersion and that and i'm a big fan of that too but uh we're talking about uh you know really frigid temperatures although a lot of people um again talking to my sister about uh, chicago the uh, polar bears i don't know if you're familiar with that that's something we don't do in mississippi (laughs) but basically during the winter time they'll go out and jump in the lake in the lake michigan Uh, they get along one of the beaches there and go in the frigid water uh, at least I'm not sure how long I can't be that long uh, just in their bathing suits. And uh, that's that's a little much for me. Uh, I, I will cold plunge if it's like 58 degree water for five minutes. But that's about it. This is Southern Remedy, and I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, answering your questions and calls about any kind of health care related topic that you might have. Well, lots of New Year's resolutions that people have. Uh, I'm not really big on that. Never did really get get into it. Actually, I'm making goals all the time, though. I'm, I, to me, like, spring's a little bit easier, maybe fallish. Uh, I had sort of the my, my usual uh, state of things. I used to go to a conference, um, a medically related conference in the spring, and uh, it seemed just like to prepare for the next academic year, for for the way that we do things at the medical center that starts in july so um it always made sense to me to plan for that in the spring and but uh, but always a good idea i think goals are always good for people um frequently i'll ask my patients you know what kind of goals do you have for your high blood pressure or for your diabetes and maybe we can come up with some together um, but it's always a good idea to have those and to sort of it gives you something to sort of stick with and uh, move toward. And a lot of people are are truly free spirits spirits and just sort of go through life and don't really have that. But uh, I love a good goal, um, uh, something to put down on paper and uh, and sort of follow with that. But if you're doing that, uh, we're probably if you did it around the first um, as a New Year's resolution or goal then you're about two weeks into the six weeks it would normally take, six to eight weeks, to establish a new habit. Um, so just keep that in mind. So this is, you're about a third of the way uh, into that. 
Um, so uh, if you're getting discouraged, that's, this is about where people get discouraged during the second or third week of doing something like that and where they drop off. That's usually where I see people stop going to the gym uh, when I when I come in. Of course, I come in pretty early. But uh, just keep at it. And if you can, uh, utilize some of your peers, some people to sort of keep you honest about those kinds of things, about whatever those goals are. And uh, it can certainly help pull you through the doldrums of winter, too. You know, we talked uh, we talk a lot about uh, the uh, psychological effects of the winter time and this time of year. And it can be one of the the lowest parts of the year if you suffer from depression or anxiety uh, or lots of psychological and psychiatric conditions can get worse during this time of year. So a goal can sort of pull you through that. And particularly if it relates to socialization with other people, um, that is always a good thing. So just a word of encouragement. And if you do feel like you're taking a downward spiral, reach out to your healthcare provider. They can uh, help with medications, with counseling to various individuals, whether that's a psychologist or a counselor. Uh, those can help um, be a good adjunct to uh, to medication. You know, a lot of people are like, you know, I don't really want to do medication for my depression or anxiety. Um, there's really good research now on either combination therapy of cognitive behavioral therapy in combination with medications to treat those uh, those diagnoses or um, or just doing the cognitive behavioral therapy alone with somebody who's trained in that. So that's always a good idea to sort of explore your options there and to develop sort of a team approach. And, uh, and again, um, thinking about it's not just taking the medication to treat something like, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do the rest of the time? Um, that you, uh, that you live out your life. So just an encouragement there as you're moving into the new year, 2024, hard to believe. It's hard for me to write that right now. I don't write a whole lot of stuff anymore, but when I do and I sign it, I have to stop and think, uh, for a good three to four months. And then, uh, (laughs) and then even sometimes after that, you know, the other thing to think about as you uh, move throughout the year is like, what are you going to do when, uh, the, when the weather gets warmer? Um, and, um, I love those kinds of goals. I guess that's maybe one reason why I don't like goals around this time of year. Cause you can't do most of the goals that, that I have, uh, have to deal with, with things that are going to happen about two or three months down the world, down the road. So just something to think about. Let's go to Warren. Good morning uh, on the Mississippi, Alabama line. Good morning, Warren. Warren. How are you? I'm a driver, and uh, early November last year, I was put into the hospital, had a CAT scan, and I had diverticulitis, mm-hmm. and they did uh, put me in the hospital three days and give me IV, and they put me on five days antibiotics. It went away, and I caught it in December, and two weeks later, I caught it again. So I'm wondering... Uh, they put me on oral but antibiotics the first time. A, a white blood cell count was over 20, which mm. is high. Yeah. The last time it was uh, around 12, uh, like a little over 13, something like that. wasn't that high. So they found one polyp. They removed that when they did a colonoscopy. And I want to know, in my case, uh, there's a certain little area of the colon there that's kind of not working right uh should i go ahead and get the operation and what's entailed with that i'll hang up and uh 
just listen to what you have to say. Sure. Yeah, so diverticulitis is an unfortunate uh, medical condition where you get these. Normally, the colon should be like a tube that is, uh, you know, it's not none of the intestines are entirely smooth on the interior portion. I think people think that, but they've got all these little uh, uh, bumps and uh, really uh, sort of like uh, uh, convolutions of them is the word I was looking for. And that's to increase the surface area of it. Well, you can get sort of um, that can can get a little bit exaggerated, particularly if you uh, you know, if you uh, have chronic constipation problems or even if you, you don't go to the bathroom, if we hard, have hard stools, the diet that we eat sometimes, particularly a typical Western diet, can lead you to that. And then that's diverticulosis. If you have these little out pockets uh, that are dead ends where food can get stuck up in there and then you can get bacterial overgrowth. And when they get infected, that's diverticulitis. And that can be a very serious infection. Uh, it can lead to hospitalization. Most of the time, once you've had it once, you can call your doctor as soon as you have symptoms and say, hey, I've got, I've got a problem with this. Can I get some antibiotics and take care of it? If you have multiple infections over the time, uh, or if they've done some studies like Warren mentioned with the function of a segment of the intestines, then surgery is usually the way that they, uh, what they suggest. And that's basically taking out that segment of the colon and connecting the two ends uh, at each end of what they took out. Typically for something like that, you don't want to do it while it's inflamed. So it, it needs to be done when it's, when it's not acting up. But typically that um, works pretty well and, um, and that can, uh, can sometimes cure your symptoms completely, particularly if you've got a job like a truck driver where you're, uh, where you're on the road a lot. So that, that's, that would be my suggestion. But, um, and usually that's on the left-hand side of your lower abdomen. That's where most people have uh, diverticulitis symptoms. It can be up top. Uh, the, the large intestine sort of starts on the right lower uh, quadrant down by your groin, and then it goes straight up and then over to the left-hand side and then back down. So most of the time, diverticulitis um, affects that left-hand portion. What you can expect after that, <clears throat> you might have a little bit more frequent bowel movements for a while until you sort of get used to that. But most of the time, the body does pretty well, particularly if it's just a short segment that they're taking out. Um, the large intestine, one of the things that it does is it reabsorbs fluids so that you can have solid bowel movements and that you don't get dehydrated. So I'd talk that over with your surgeons, but it sounds like you're at a point where that might be a consideration. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Abram Nanny. You can tune in to MPB Think Radio every weekday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.